Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sovai. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 618. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hope everyone is fine and dandy. Well, welcome to the 24th of December. It is a Tuesday and I'm going to release the show to everybody on Tuesday because it's going to be a bit strange releasing it normally on a Wednesday, which is Christmas Day this week. So, hello and welcome. Yes, tell you what's coming today. today's show. We have, main fiction is The Colour of the Flame by Stephen Case and... It is the end of the month, the old boy there, the old fellas getting himself sorted. And we've got Mr. J.J. Campanella with his science news. That's all coming in today's show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. So I just want to wish everyone uh, a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're going to keep on going right through the festive festive holidays. And like I say, if you into Christmas, huge Merry Christmas. If you don't, you know, if Christmas isn't your bag of fish, then have a, a great few days holiday. And if you're not on holiday, which I'm actually not on the on the New Year's, I'm working all over the New Year. Well, you know what I mean. We've we got <laughs> just miserable grumpy faces. But anyway, I hope you have a, a fab time, whatever you're doing. It has been a blast this year doing Starship again. You know what I mean? We're just kind of rolling. These years just kind of tickle on by. You know what I mean? I was talking to Amy on email. I think I might have mentioned this on the show. You know what I mean? And it's just, 
how we were the kind of cutting edge, the cutting edge of of technology, you know, putting out these podcasts in, in 2006. And now, you know what I mean? We're just <laughs> the old grand dames of it. You know what I mean? It's, it's just quite bizarre how things grew on. And what I was looking at, I just, and I never normally look now on my podcast app where I can listen to podcasts. You know what I mean? I don't kind of go and, and look for new ones. I just, you know, what I've got is what I listen to. And I opened up the Apple podcast and it all just looks like professional. Do you know what I mean? All the, you know what I mean? I, I don't know how people now find that, you know, the, the quirky and the, the, the neat podcasts out there because it just all looks so commercial. Do you know what I mean? It's just big companies putting their own podcasts on, you know what I mean? Big news corporations, BBC's shocking at it. You know what I mean? Every show, everything they do is done as a podcast and it just smothers out all the, it was by the look of it to me anyways, you know what I mean? So if you if you do a podcast and you rise to the top, you know, good on you because in these days now it's just so hard to kind of get noticed. But with you know what I mean? We have our audience, and thank you so much for kind of sticking by with and support with. Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of the thing as well for getting we're getting through these years. It is an honour to kind of do this for you. But you know what I mean? We 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 like I say we we still going there. So twenty twenty, what what lapping? God knows, God knows. I know you know. A big thank you to Jeremy. Jeremy's stepping down. And he's kind of handing over the reins of the editorship to Je- Gary, Je- I was going to say Jerry, Gary Dowell. And, you know, that's going to be a big thing for Starship. So if I lose and Jeremy, you know, he's probably hell. He's kind of nearly been here as long as me. You know what I mean? And it'll be a, it'll be a kind of, oh, strange times. Do you know what I mean? But there's good things for Jeremy on the horizon. There's such good things. And, yeah, I'll still hopefully, you know, I'll still be here to pushing out the show. And, you know, hopefully... Jim and Amy are there as well. We've been here from the start, so that would be kind of drag them two along with. It'd be fantastic, you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm getting all I'm getting all romantic there, you know what I mean? Just thank you for listening. Do you know what I mean? That's the most important thing. You've been here for for oodles of years, or if you're tuned in for the very first time, thank you. Do you know what I mean? It means a lot to all of us who kind of push out this show. It really does. So let us get into the main fiction now. I'm. Just, I'm actually looking at my wavelength software that I'm used for recording, so I'm not on the, the right page. There we go. Number 618, man. Wow. Anyway, the main fiction is The Colour of Flame by Stephen Case. This story originally appeared in Mythic in March 2017. Stephen Case is a historian of astronomy, an author living and lecturing in the prairies of South Chicago. His work has appeared most recently in Beneath the Skies, Shimmer, and In the Galactic Medicine Show. His debut novel, First Fleet, is a Lovecraftian horror meets military SF. His book, give me some of that book there, I see. I've been kind of looking on Stephen on Amazon as well. So yes, give me some of that, Stephen. Sounds fantastic. His first book-length work of non-fiction, Making Stars Physical, was published last year by the University of Pittsburgh Press and shortlisted for the History of Science Society's, is it Pfizer Prize? And there's links to Stephen's sites all over on, on our site as well. Now, this story is narrated by Kashunk Narasimha. I think that's how it may be possibly. Who is a management consultant by day and struggling writer and general delinquent by night. And there's a link there to Kashunk's Twitter page. 
Sure, the starship Sova is very proud to present. Color of the Flame by Stephen Case There are few places more hidden than the core of a star. Its light licks off into space, but the heart of the flame remains forever unseen. What happens in the core can be modeled, of course. The rearrangement of probabilities and affinities transmuting matter to energy, yet anything happening a trillion times each instant at the centers of billions of stars will eventually hit a snag. Something, invariably, will go wrong. Realities will start to rub away like well-worn pennies. Most people have faith in the stars. They know how to burn. The particles are firm in their endless dance. The physics works. The Godexi knew better. Godhex 04886 monitored its star. It was an average main sequence star with a small train of planets in an especially thick section of the Milky Way. Godhex 04886 had been monitoring it for over three galactic revolutions before the star threw a bad neutrino. Godhex 04886 snagged the particle in one of its 18-dimensional nets and coiled its manifolds with distaste. The neutrino was sour. It had a harmonic distinctly at variance with what it should have been. The neutrino was wrong. Godhex 04886 alerted the local hexametric of the corresponding Godhexi. Using parameters from the sour neutrino, Godhex 04886 adjusted models of the star's interior. This might be the very thing they had watched for and feared so long. Godhex 04886 ran its models again. It had finally happened. Godhex 04886 trembled in all six of its tessellated manifolds. According to the calculations, in a few million years, the highly improbable reactions taking place in the star's core would bleed out onto its surface, curdling its flame. Godhex 04886's star would be the wrong color, not an incorrect color, an impossible color, a color that could not exist. By now, its query and subsequent ramifications had reached the local hexametric of the corresponding Godhexi. A consensus was reached. It would require a vast amount of resources. It would drain the powers of the local hexametric, but it was necessary. A wrong color propagating outward onto the universe was unacceptable. This was the thing that the god Hexai feared, a tipping point that would pull the whole supersaturated universe back down to the chaos of energy from which it had sprung. The local hexametric converged. The star would be caged. Creighton was at his letters when the alarm chimed. He skimmed the data, whistled softly, and called his wife. There is no way, she said. There is absolutely no way. I'm just giving you the data, love. Her face hung above his desk. Behind her head, he could see the pods curve. And the data is pretty firm. Gravimetrics and long-range EM. Big and round and almost certainly artificial. Chai wrinkled her nose. Gravimetrics? Yeah, you know, gravitational lensing and the proper motion of nearby objects. I know what it means, Creighton. You just sound like a goddamn spacer when you say it. He held his grin for a few moments, so she was sure to see it through a wash of static. We are spacers, Chai. And this is big. 
meaning a big payoff for you if it pans out and a big pain in the ass for me. How far off my current trajectory? Looks to be uh, 40 light years, roughly. I don't think I have a choice, do I? Big Chai! Crichton threw up his hands. Think big! Retirement big! Fine, fine. She touched a few spots of light in front of her and dropped off the light line. Keep me posted, he said. I'll kiss the kids goodnight. She waved and blinked off. Crichton shuffled his letters. Real paper... facsimiles of those written by astronomers on old earth hundreds of years ago he and chai were spacers when the situation allowed when the situation also allowed creighton was an archaeologist of sorts the letters were correspondence from when stars could only be studied visually and only through distorting layers of atmosphere and glass lenses the batch he had now was between observers discussing variable stars one of them had published nearly 500 years ago a catalog of red stars in which their shades were reported in descriptions as lovely as they were unquantifiable it was a hobby of his though occasionally the letters offered leads useful leads it's a dyson sphere crichton chai's face blinked back above the desk it's a motherfucking dyson sphere the kids are downstairs there's a small but not vanishing possibility they'll hear you they've got to learn to talk some day numbers and video feed streamed beside her her eyes were on her screens outside his line of sight do you want me to flag central i've already done it she said i've got a few survey blips dropped we'll get a good cut for this you were right there hasn't been a genuine eti haul for what 6 months and maybe never anything so large they'll be all over this how large he waited for her answer god side I don't know, she finally said. I mean, I do. You've got the numbers there, but getting that in your mind is something else. How big is it? He studied the figures now gliding past. At least 13 light minutes. That's like a system, right? You could hold a star and a small train of planets inside, yes. What does it look like? Black, she said. Absolutely black. Trusses on the outside like a geodesic dome. but each one a million miles long or something i'm going to run a light line around it you've already flagged it we'll get our cut yeah she leaned off screen for a moment but now i want to see it see the other side this is crazy she blinked off again central loved artifacts of clear extraterrestrial intelligence they would take all they could find whether unprotected ruins on one of the granite worlds or additional dreadnoughts from the cocoon fleet problem was after the finders got a cut central clamped down tight in another few hours the whole system would likely be quarantined and chai wanted to nose around first he shrugged and went back to his letters this correspondence hadn't been linked to chai's trajectory but on a hunch he put the physical copies aside and shifted through them as data files He filtered historical stellar maps and correlated them with the estimated location of this object as seen from old earth half a millennium ago then cross-referenced that with his letters 2 seconds later he had something My dear sir John I can with satisfaction inform you of the diligence with which I have been pursuing your suggestion to study the heavens for deep red stars Your remarks have led me to the conclusion that such objects are indeed likely to be variable 
and after some nights of observations, I am led to the same conclusion which you presented in your treatise. Namely, that dim red stars are variable and tend moreover to develop a nebulous haze about them at their period of greatest diminution. I offer one remarkable example of this phenomenon. The star noted in your charts at the following coordinates I observed over the course of several nights and found to be rapidly decreasing in brightness. By the end of a fortnight, I could no longer locate it. Before it had decreased beyond the range of sensibility, however, I was keenly aware that it seemed to take on a diffuse and, if you will excuse the imprecise description, hairy or foggy characteristic. I have turned my instruments on these coordinates for several nights since, but have not been able to detect any further indication of its presence. Do you know whether this particular star has exhibited periodicity in the past? And if so, when I might expect it to return to visibility? If I have made a new discovery, I would be obliged to you for its communication to the Astronomical Society at their next meeting. As personal obligations make it unlikely, I will be able to travel to London in time for the next meeting. I remain your humble servant. Creighton slapped the metalwood desk. It had been observed. Someone in the distant past on old Earth had witnessed a star being netted over by an ETI of planetary engineering capacity of stellar system engineering capacity. He blinked his wife. It was observed from Earth. What was? The Dyson Sphere. The building of the Dyson Sphere. There was a dim red star there 500 years ago, longer actually, allowing light travel time, and some English gentlemen witnessed it being contained, encapsulated, whatever. What's an English? She was distracted. Never mind. But it means there was ETI activity in that area as recently as within a millennium. That makes it even hotter. More money? If we can link it to a specific temporal event, you bet more money. And it looks like I just did. A chime sounded from downstairs and Creighton rose. That's the kids. I've got to go. Get as much info as you can. It's bigger than we thought. You said it was retirement big. Bigger than that. If this pans out, I'm buying you a second body. She orbited the Dyson Sphere. No one from Central had showed up yet, which was fine. The flag she dropped was buzzing on all frequencies, so there was no chance they'd contest the find when they arrived. There wasn't much to see of the sphere beyond a round immensity, like someone had put a lid over all the stars in one direction. The trusses supporting it were barely visible in starlight. It was not completely black, though. It wasn't radiant in the visible portion of the electromagnetic spectrum, but it was glowing faintly in microwaves. It does have a star inside. Chime mused, assumedly, so the sphere around it would eventually heat up, assumedly. She told the pod to run some numbers. How long would it take a star's radiation to heat its cage to luminosity? What's it made of? she asked the pod. A feed of information flowing down her screens highlighted and magnified. The sphere appeared to be mainly carbon and silicon. She blinked her husband back. What did you say about the kind of star this was? Someone on old earth saw it? All I know is that it appeared to be a dim red star in the historical record. Why? It's glowing. Huh. He pulled at his beard. I guess that makes sense, given enough time. The pod says in a few million years it'll be glowing in the visible portion of the spectrum. Imagine that. A star inside a star. He said, huh, again. Odd. She looked at the screen. That's really bizarre. What? When it starts glowing, 
heated up long enough by the presumed star inside, when it starts to glow, yes, it will be the wrong color. Godhag 04934, a later iteration of the Godhag 04886, awoke and glanced towards the shielded sun, wondering what had brought it out of stasis. There was a flicker of non-relativistic motion in the orbit. Someone was knocking on the door. Godhag 04934 sent a targeted warning on all frequencies. Danger! Do not approach the cage! I'm sorry, Creighton said. I lost you there for a second. There was some kind of interference. I said it'll be the wrong color. What do you mean? Given long enough, it'll start to glow, right? And it'll be glowing the wrong color. The wrong color? Creighton asked. What does that even mean? It means, she paused, it'll be a color no one has seen before. She was an artist, and she had an imagination. But even with the most up-to-date packages integrated into her cortex, Chai sometimes did things with numbers Creighton couldn't explain. Look, I'm assuming you've run the blackbody equations and that they're showing the shell will start radiating after absorbing enough heat from its internal star. Yeah, she stared at him. Duh. So its frequency, its color, is going to depend on temperature. No. What do you mean? Just what I said. Here, I'll send you the numbers. He waited. They did not come. Well? Hold on. There was another burst of static. There's someone here. It looked like a snowflake. Six sides with filigreed edges trailing off into fractal structures too small to follow. None of the equipment on the pod registered it. She couldn't see where it had come from. ETI, she said. In the flesh, hot damn. Creighton was saying something, but she couldn't make out the words. In another instant, all the screens went blank. The snowflake seemed small, perhaps a few feet across, but the sizes were notoriously difficult to judge in the black. It might have been a hundred meters away, in which case it would be much larger. It was definitely keeping pace between her and the sphere. Her pod began vibrating. Words formed, not on a screen, but shaped in the air of the pod itself. Do not approach the cage, it said. She was suddenly frightened. What was taking those ships from Central so long? There had been reports of exchanges with ETIs in the past, and they usually ended in derelict vessels and insane crews. She tapped the controls tentatively, trying to edge away. Do not approach the cage. They spun together in silence. After several minutes, Chai's fear gave way to impatience. What is it? she asked. What's inside? It is a cage, the voice said. It is isolating the star within. Why? The star is an impossible color. It must remain isolated. It won't fall much longer. That shell's been absorbing heat for centuries. Eventually it'll start to glow. The snowflake winked. At least the central node of the six fractal-like fins sparked momentarily. The pod's controls came back online. Chai fled. Godhex 04934 turned away from the vessel and considered the cage's surface. It was impossible this outcome was not predicted. The star's electromagnetic output was mapped and projected. How could something as simple as the absorption and reabsorption of its contaminant radiation have been overlooked? 
the larger hexametric would not have allowed such a simple oversight. Word hex 04934 shuddered down to the hyperdimensional tips of its countless flagella. This was evidence of the breakdowns represented by the impossible color itself. The corrosion of reality and probability within the star apparently had implications for the central processing units of the local hexametric itself. They had made a mistake. Godhex 04934 communed with all surrounding Godhexi, and these in turn linked themselves into the higher iteration of hexametrics, until the eyes of the entire galactic hexameron were turned upon the problem of this widening contamination. The local hexameron converged on the star once more. Chai and Creighton had only ten children. It was all they could afford before their big ETI find. By the time they made it big, their brooding license had expired. They did move to one of the new glass worlds, though, in a tight orbit around a bright crystalline white dwarf. She devoted her time to her art, and he spent the rest of his career sifting through his facsimile historical artifacts. Their youngest daughter eventually went to work for Central, serving several years before being posted to a listening station near the Black Pearl. At least that's what we call it, the training ensign told her when she boarded the circling station. The snowflakes are Class 1 ETI, the only Class 1 yet detected. They keep adding layers to the pearl, like a muscle does a piece of grit. Did you ever see a muscle? The daughter, whose name was Hulda, shook her head. She stared beyond the transparent viewers to where tiny spots of light crossed in front of the black sphere. They're sucking material from the cores of about a dozen nearby red giants, best we can tell, the ensign explained. He was thin, with the blue skin of one of the early ringworlds. Of course, we don't know how they do it. They won't let us get close enough to see, but they keep a constant stream of it weaving around that thing. Since we've been watching, they've completed the second shell, leaving about half a standard AU in between it and the first. It's a Dyson sphere, Hulda said. Right, but now doubled. A sphere round a sphere. And they keep at it. No contact? They're not talking. They don't have to. They're class one. We can't get any closer than they want us to. What are they like? The ensign pointed to the terminal. The entire database is there. You'll have plenty of time to read up while you watch the pearl. Alda knew this place. Its discovery had been the high point of her parents' careers. Her father used to talk about it. A red star, known to amateur observers, he would say with a sort of hushed awe, seeing ETI at work with no idea. The stories her mother told were stranger. She began painting in earnest after they moved to the glass world. She was trying to capture something, she said, something she had caught a glimpse of in the equations from the Dyson sphere, a color that could not be seen. Why not? She mused, staring at the pearl. Because the universe is supersaturated. A snowflake materialized in front of her. It looked just as her mother had described, its size impossible to judge. We have seen your kind before. The wrong color is the color of decay, or of flame. Flame is a falling, in a sense, correct? Hulda stared. Apologies for the language. We have been listening to the listeners. The snowflake paused. Am I clear? Hulda nodded. 
Flame is of falling. It is a system moving from a higher state of energy to lower. Once flame begins, the entire system falls into it. The universe is likewise a system. My words still are clear. Again, a mute nod. My words are clear. The caged star contains a flame. It is a place where the universe begins falling. It does this in an impossible physical manifestation. You built the Dyson Sphere. Correct. The oscillating waves of color on the snowflake's edges were hypnotic. Hulda kept trying to follow them to their endpoints and failing. But we omitted basic thermodynamic principles, inexplicably. We began constructing multiple shields. We are delaying the collapse of the crystalline universe for billions of years. Why are you telling me this? So you will know. There were snowflakes all around her. On the screens, she could see them materializing outside as well. We discover evidence of the collapse along unforeseen vectors. The snowflake continued. This troubles us. It is possible there is peripheral contamination. They were spreading thin streams of a black ribbon, darker than the dark of space. It was another shell, she realized. It would envelop the listening station. Perhaps it came from the one who was similar to you, the snowflake said. She saw the equations, but you, the snowflakes, had vanished. But its voice remained. You dream an impossible color. It was correct. Hulda did, and always had. But how do you communicate knowledge of a color no one has seen? Hulda looked towards the black pearl and imagined she saw its surface glowing. She waited. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And 
And there you go, there you go, Stephen. Thank you very much. Kasunk, thank you, sir. Oh, it's an honour, Stephen. Thank you. I've been looking because my son's he, well, he's he's sixth form now over in England. Sixth form goes to university next. Well, actually, September next year wants to do aerospace engineering. So we're all into what you kind of lecture about and all that. He's kind of obsessed with everything, kind of space and science. Anyway. On with Mr. J.J. Campanella, the old boy. Come on, wheel him out there. How are you, lad? How are you? Get yourself out, Jim. Science News. Greetings and seasonal merrymentations, my portmentated listeners. Welcome to this December 2019 Science News Update. I'm your host for this Christmas podcast segment, Jim Campanella. Happy Christmas and may you all get pre-Boxing Day boxers. All I want for Christmas is for the Star Wars series to end on a high note and not being told that Ray's father is Jabba the Hutt or something. Anyway, uh, you may notice that my voice is not quite up to snuff. This is because I've now gotten the second cold in a row, which I don't quite understand how I can have such lousy luck. Yes, it is possible to have two colds in a row. You can have multiple colds in a row. The uh, bad luck comes with having... Two different viruses. The first cold you're usually resistant to after you get it. Um, The second, you wouldn't be resistant if it was a completely different virus. Lucky me. Anyway, my first present of the evening to you guys is a pair of gentlemen who deserve Idiot Scientists of the Month. And perhaps the coveted General Idiots of the Month, or perhaps Idiots of the Year. Friday, November 15th, Two chemistry professors at Henderson State University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, were arrested after being accused of making methamphetamine in a university laboratory, according to the Washington Post. Associate professors Dr. Terry David Bateman and Dr. Bradley Allen Rowland have been on administrative leave since October 11th, following an investigation into reports of a chemical odor in the university science center. Now, before I go on, I have to say, look, how strange is it that chemical odors are coming from chemistry labs? I can't imagine what those chemical smells might be. Seriously, that's why someone decided to start an investigation. It's like walking to a restaurant and complaining of strange cooking smells. I smell something suspicious back there in the kitchen. Perhaps that's veal. I don't know. It's just strange. So, so, chemical testing showed elevated levels of benzyl chloride, a chemical that can be used to make meth in a chemical laboratory. The building was immediately closed for cleanup and reopened October 29th, according to the Post. Okay, I don't entirely understand that either. Cleanup? I I don't get that. Again, these are chemical labs. Were these guys such horrid, horrid chemists that they had some sort of toxic spill with their little Breaking Bad homage? I I just, I don't get it. Just how bad are these guys? Tina Hall, the Associate Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Henderson, says, The safety of our students, faculty, and staff is a top priority, and we continue to cooperate with authorities. The good Dr. Bateman, Director of Undergraduate Research in the Chemistry Department, has been with the university for a decade, while Dr. Rowland joined in 2014. 
The two face charges of manufacturing methamphetamine, a felony that could mean up to 40 years in prison, and using drug paraphernalia, which carries a possible 20-year sentence. So here's a bonus idiot scientist story as my Christmas present to you. The nonprofit online news source ProPublica has collected more than 29,000 disclosures of faculty members with outside incomes that they get in addition to their regular salaries. Now, why is that a problem? Well, folks, these scientists are not moonlighting at the 7-Eleven. We're talking conflict of interest. Over the past year, ProPublica has sought to highlight the potential conflicts of interests defined as professional relationships that might influence research, teaching, and other activities of faculty members at public universities and research institutions. And they have created a database of professors' corporate and nonprofit funding. The publication requested outside income forms for faculty from at least one public university in each U.S. state. Fewer than two dozen responded. And some of those responses were incomplete. Ha! Sounds like they were dealing with the Ukraine. Anyway, from private universities, the ProPublica team gathered disclosures from papers and federal grants. Finally, the National Institutes of Health shared its database with ProPublica. Why are conflicts of interest a problem? Well, financial conflicts of interest influence outcomes of studies. Even if the researchers are honorable people, they don't know how the interests affect their own research. In other words, it poisons the well or biases the system. In short, it perverts science. Although many universities have improved their internal reporting requirements for such conflicts, the whole of academia does not have consistent guidelines for those disclosures to be shared, with transparency rules that vary among universities and states. With the initial launch of ProPublica's Dollars for Profs database, the nonprofit collected 29,000 records from academic institutions and 8,100 records from the NIH. These records are now all cataloged and searchable on their website. Go for it. If you think a PI you know is profiting when they shouldn't be, you'll be able to find out. Okay, first regular story of the night came with a suggestion of listener Lior Sar. Sorry if my pronunciation of your name is seriously way off. Lior came across a physics story that he found a bit puzzling and intriguing, and he's certainly not the only one. Uh, this next story has puzzled and intrigued some pretty great minds out there. And what's the question? Well, is there a fifth physics force in nature that has something to do with dark matter, and is there clear evidence for it? Oh, man, we're back to dark matter again. Dude, are you, like, completely obsessed with dark matter? Well, no. But if it impacts on the existence of a fifth force, that's interesting. Of course, at the moment, it is controversial whether a fifth force and or dark matter exist. So, to review. Physics centers essentially on four forces that control our known visible universe, governing everything from the production of heat in the sun to the way your laptop works. They are gravity, electromagnetism, the weak nuclear force, and the strong nuclear force. New research may show evidence of that mysterious fifth force. The research work was led by Dr. Attila Krasnow-Orki of CERN and was just made public last month in the Harvard Scientific Online Archive and posted. 
However, yes, it has technically still not been peer-reviewed or even technically actually published yet. Krasna Orki and company were closely observing how an excited helium atom emitted light as it decayed. The particles split at an unusual angle, 150 degrees. Now I read that and I shrug. It seemed like a seriously so-what moment. However, Krasnow, Orky, and company say that that angle of emission can't be explained by known physics. Krasnow, Orky stated publicly, quote, This was the second time we detected a new particle, which we are calling X-17, because we have calculated its mass to be 17 mega-electron volts. Unquote. Fair enough. Krasnow, Orky has referred to this unseen fifth force in action as what he calls a protophobic force, meaning that it was as though these particles were afraid of protons and wouldn't come into contact with them. Lots of researchers immediately started speculating what X-17 may be. Some have concluded that if it exists, it could be a particle which connects our visible world to that of the dark matter world. If any of this stuff can be reproduced by other labs, it could change physics as we know it, or it could be just a simple lab error. Some very famous physicists have apparently literally been going back and examining every other experiment that's been done in the history of physics to explain why this X-17 particle has never been detected before, along with the undetected fifth force. Frankly, I have no idea whether any of this is true or not. I'm not a physicist. All I can figure is that if there was no experimental error in the setup, then you really can't argue with the end result. You can argue with the interpretation, but as I always tell my students, the data is the data. As long as you didn't make a mistake, it's your responsibility to explain and interpret what you found. If it is consistent, weird as the data may be, well, then it's pretty much set in stone. There you go. The next story is a weird one, which to me borders between idiocy and genius. What do I mean? Well... Doctors Yadiv Ehrlich, who is now the CSO of the company MyHeritage, and Dr. Robert Grass of ETH Zurich, have composed DNA to carry the instructions for 3D printing of, of all things, a plastic rabbit. This work was published December 9th in the journal Nature Biotechnology, which is pretty impressive by itself. Then the really impressive feat is that they have taken the idea of DNA storage a step further than anyone else has by embedding silica beads with that genetic blueprint into the plastic bunny. Ehrlich and Grass have recreated five generations of the rabbit by using a sample of DNA from each iteration to print a new rabbit with high fidelity. The printing instructions are stored in 45 kilobases of DNA, which is packaged into beads that are just a nanometer in diameter. The beads were then added to the 3D printing materials so that the object would carry the instructions for its own creation. They repeated the exercise on a larger scale, coding a movie into DNA and embedding the genetic storage into plexiglass. They then took a fragment of the plexiglass and sequencing the DNA allowed them to recreate the video. In the paper, Ehrlich suggests, quote, this may be a new approach to store electronic health records and implants, produce self-replicating machines, or just hide data. The printed object will look like an ordinary object, so it's a very effective way of hiding information, unquote. 
I have seen pictures of the plastic rabbit, and it looks like a white plastic rabbit. Nothing special that I couldn't print on my own 3D setup. But it's not that the bunny that is special. The amazing concept is the idea of embedding hidden information in an object. If you can hide that DNA code in anything, including a plastic window, it may create the ultimate security for secret data. Think about it. It's like the purloined letter. Who has the time or energy to go checking every plastic object in the world for concealed DNA code? Next story. I like to tell my biology classes that life can be found pretty much everywhere on Earth, from the crushing depths of the ocean to the frozen tops of the highest mountains, from the sub-zero Antarctic Ocean to the hyperheated volcanic vents at the bottom of the ocean. And we can find life pretty much anywhere. Well, it turns out there are limits to that statement. Some researchers have found that some places on Earth really have no life at all. Dr. Purificación López García of the French National Center for Scientific Research has published an article in Nature, Ecology, and Evolution that has confirmed the absence of microbial life in hot, saline, hyperacidic ponds in the Dalal geothermal field in Ethiopia. The infertile landscape of Dalal, located in the Ethiopian depression of Nautical, extends over a volcanic crater full of salt, where toxic gases emanate and water boils in the midst of intense hydrothermal activity. It's one of the most torrid and horrid environments on Earth. Temperatures there in the winter can still exceed 45 degrees Celsius in the winter, and there are abundant hypersaline and hyperacidic pools with pH values that are so low they actually are in the negative. Lopez Garcia states, quote, After analyzing so many more samples than in previous works with adequate controls so as not to contaminate them and a well-calibrated methodology, we have verified that there's no microbial life in these salty, hot, hyperacid pools or in the adjacent magnesium-rich brine lakes although we have found a great diversity of primitive salt-loving microorganisms in the desert and saline canyons around the hydrothermal site, unquote. According to Lopez Garcia, this work, quote, helps to circumscribe the limits of habitability for life, unquote, and it demands caution when interpreting morphological biosignatures on Earth and beyond, and that one should not rely on the apparently cellular or biological aspects of a structure. Just because it looks alive, it could have an abiotic origin. He stresses, quote, In addition, our study presents evidence that there are places on Earth's surface, like the Dalal pools, that are sterile even though they contain liquid water. That means that the presence of liquid water on a planet or a moon, which astrobiologists often use as a habitability criteria, does not directly imply that there is life there, unquote. The obvious example here is, is his own work. Why doesn't anything grow in Dalal? Well, in this case, Lopez Garcia found two physical chemical barriers that prevent the presence of living organisms in those pods. First, the abundance of chaotropic magnesium salts. Those are a strong agent that breaks hydrogen bonds and denatures biochemicals. And then the second is the confluence of Besides those chaotropic magnesium salts, they are hypersaline, 
they are hyperacidic, and they are hotter than the blazes. So, too much salt, too much heat, too much acid, and that'll pretty much keep anything from growing. Lopez Garcia finishes with, quote, We would not expect to find life forms in similar environments on other planets, at least not based on a biochemistry similar to terrestrial biochemistry, unquote. And I have to agree with Dr. Purificacion. It's a good idea to be very prudent with our interpretations before reaching any conclusions in astrobiology. We still have no idea what's out there exactly in the universe. Next story. Do kids with attention deficit disorder necessarily need drugs? Is there an alternative? The answer may surprise you. All right, not really. A study by researchers from China Medical University in Taichung, Taiwan, has found that omega-3 fish oil supplements may have equivalent or even greater beneficial effects on attention deficit in children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder than do conventional drugs. But only among individuals who have otherwise low levels of omega-3 in their blood. The study results indicated that for individuals with already high levels of omega-3 fatty acid, Icosa pentanoic acid, EPA, further omega-3 supplementation may have detrimental effects on certain measures of ADHD. The scientists say the study is the first that they know of to report the effects of monotherapy using EPA in individuals with ADHD. The paper was published in the journal Translational Psychiatry last month. Dr. Jane Chang of King's College London led the study and says, quote, Our results suggest that fish oil supplements are at least as effective for attention deficit disorders as conventional pharmacological methods on those children with ADHD who have omega-3 deficiencies. On the other hand, it is possible to have too much of a good thing, and parents should always consult with their children's psychiatrists since our study suggests that there could be negative effects for some children, unquote. Omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids have been closely associated with cognitive function and academic performance for a while. To investigate directly whether icosapentanoic acid may impact on ADHD, the team carried out a 12-week placebo-controlled trial to evaluate the effects of high-dose icosapentanoic acid compared with placebo in 92 children and adolescents aged 6 to 18 years of age who had been referred to the China Medical University Hospital Department of Psychiatry between 2016 and 2017 with a diagnosis of ADHD. All the participants had either never taken ADHD drugs or had received no medication for at least the previous six months. The main outcome of the trial were focused attention, impulsivity, sustained attention, and vigilance as assessed by something called the Contiguous Performance Test. Secondary measures were assessed using additional recognized scoring systems. Blood levels of polyunsaturated fats were measured at baseline and at the end of the trial. The trial results confirmed the children with the lowest baseline blood levels of eicosapentanoic acid showed improvements in focused attention and vigilance after taking the omega-3 supplements for 12 weeks. However, these improvements were not seen in children with normal or high baseline blood levels of EPA. In addition, for children with high existing eicosapentanoic acid levels, omega-3 
supplements actually had negative effects on impulsivity control. Why do I even bring up this story at all? Very simple. All too often in Western culture, we are very quick to prescribe drugs for our children that we think may help them when it has to do with their psychological health. Sometimes these drugs help, and sometimes those pharmaceuticals do not help, but we are far too dependent on them for helping children. I'm just presenting the story as evidence that sometimes there is a better way, a way that does not necessarily involve altering our children with the help of Big Pharma. It's just a thought. So finally, the last story of the night, which is a kind of holiday nutrition story, which also kind of goes along with the last one, sort of. So this is about a paper entitled The Depressogenic Potential of Added Dietary Sugars. It's from the journal Medical Hypotheses, and it's going to be published this January. And the paper suggests that winter indulgence of a sweet tooth may not be such a great idea because it will make you even more depressed if you are not already teetering on the edge. In short, anybody prone to depression may do well to steer clear of sugar-laden figgy puddings, sweets, and treats over the holiday season. You may think it's helping you at the time, but just like an alcoholic with alcohol, it's not going to be really helping you in the longer run. Clinical psychologists at the University of Kansas analyzed a wide range of research on the physiological and psychological effects of eating foods with added sugar. Their results supported the hypothesis that consuming foods containing a lot of added sugar, which are hard to avoid, frankly, this time of year, can trigger metabolic, inflammatory, and neurobiological processes that are all tied to depressive illness. The lead author, Dr. Stephen Ilardi, says, quote, When we consume sweets, they act like a drug. They have an immediate mood-elevating effect. But in high doses, they can have a paradoxical, pernicious, longer-term consequence of making mood worse, reducing well-being, elevating inflammation, and causing weight gain, unquote. Sugar has become a dietary staple throughout the developed world, the authors write. And people in the U.S. currently derive an estimated 14% of all their calories from added sugars that are typically introduced into foods and beverages during processing. And this amounts to what Alardi says is, quote, the equivalent of 18 extra teaspoons worth of sugar each day, unquote. The paper says that these sweeteners are even found in an estimated 75% of all packaged food. A high-sugar diet is believed to represent a risk factor for disorders, including cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, as well as obesity. And as a result, U.S. dietary guidelines now advise limiting the consumption of added sugars, both to promote better overall health and to help reduce the burgeoning toll of obesity. It's been found that when people improve their diets to boost nutrition or lose weight, they can also reduce the symptoms of depression, the authors comment. Elardi says, quote, Moreover, healthy and unhealthy diets, respectively, each appear to exert independent effects on mental health, which suggests that depressinogenic processes can be affected both by the relative absence of key nutrients and by the excessive presence of of harmful food, unquote. 
Coupled diet with dwindling light in the wintertime and corresponding changes in sleep patterns, it is possible that high sugar consumption could result in a perfect storm that adversely affects mental health, the researchers reasoned. Ilardi says, For many people, reduced sunlight exposure during the winter will throw off circadian rhythms, disrupt healthy sleep, and push 5-10% to 10% of the population into a full-blown episode of clinical depression, unquote. The researchers acknowledge that while the hypothesized link between depression and added dietary sugar is neither definitive nor conclusive, because, quote, more rigorous experimental manipulations of added sugar intake need to be performed, as well as examination of larger numbers of people. However, the evidence to date is still, quote, unquote, persuasive, they say. Lardy finishes the paper with a caution that it might be appropriate to view added sugar at high enough levels as physically and psychologically harmful, akin to drinking a little too much alcohol, like I mentioned earlier. He finishes with, quote, We have pretty good evidence that one alcoholic drink a day is safe, and it might have a beneficial effect for some people. Alcohol is basically pure calories, pure energy, non-nutritive, and super toxic at high doses. Sugars are pretty similar. We're learning when it comes to depression, people who optimize their diet should provide all the nutrients the brain needs and mostly avoid potential toxins, unquote. Well, that's all for me for now. Try fish oil. Maybe that'll help with depression if the Swedes don't. Don't take that second job at Monsanto if you're already a PI. Don't trust plastic rabbits for keeping your secrets. Keep watching the skies for anything that can live in a hot, salty, acidic environment. And I hope I've inspired some of you. Until next time, this is Jim Campanella. Jim, it's been an honor and a pleasure to do this waltz over the years. <laughs> it really has. What a, honestly, what a kind of, if I could just give you a big hug. Thank you so much, Jim, for everything, to be honest. You know what I mean? Kind of every, we listen to you kind of, we listen to them now, like he said, my son's writing a science as well and just loves it. So thank you so much, lad. It is so appreciated. Have a blast in 2020. How oh, weird that sounds, man. And we, like I say, we did this show starting 2006. Man, 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 man. Where's the years, man? Certainly a lot of bloody grey there. I'm nearly completely grey there now. And the beard is, man. <laughs> right then, until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, 
might already be on to you and on my way But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I wanna talk to you I wanna talk to you Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley High Performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.